This is the Nutanix Community Podcast with Angelo Luciani, episode 58. Here we go. This week, Dwayne chats with Gary Little, performance guru at Nutanix. Dwayne and Gary talk about benchmarking and performance, testing tools, moving beyond IOPS, and we touch on X-Ray, a Nutanix HCI benchmarking tool. Think of Chaos Monkey for the enterprise cloud. A lot of good stuff here. Let's join the conversation. Today, we are going to talk about benchmarking and performance on hyperconverged. With us today is Gary Little. He is the Jedi of performance. He officially holds the Guinness World Book of Records for most runs of Iometer in the world. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Duane. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, I do indeed know much more about FIO than any sane person should, should ever want to. Um, but then I'm not proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have our crosses to bear, Gary. We do. We do. It's, 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 it's a sin and a shame, uh, but um, it is what it is. So for people that don't know, Gary used to be in the performance team, but now I would say, I guess we can call ourselves co-workers on the technical marketing side. Uh, you're still heavily involved with performance. Gary, what kind of led you, not just to Nutanix, but in, in general, maybe a bit, a bit of background so listeners can kind of get a feel for where you're coming from? Okay. So I started my kind of vendor career um, in some microsystems. So this was the this was the early 2000s. Unfortunately, uh, just I joined just about the peak. So um, I, I saw the up and down part of that curve. But what did was you have a MySpace account back then? From, no, I, think I, did have. <laughs> I had a hot I had a Hotmail account. Oh wow! So I think that's that that dates me for sure. <laughs> Um, so back in, back in the early 2000s, you know, if you think about where we are today, things like eBay and uh, some and, and the other big websites weren't using scale out or any of the kind of fancy things that we, that they run on today. They were all running on these giant, um, giant sun servers. So E10,000s at the time, uh, that had 64 processors, which was a huge number in a single chassis and these giant databases. So someone was just making huge amounts of money because every time eBay wanted to open a new um, a new geography or anything like that, they would have to buy this million dollar Sun uh, Sun Spark kit, and they were just you know someone was making money hands over fist. And so I kind of got interested in the performance, and particularly I was doing a lot of Oracle benchmarking just because, uh, or you know, debugging Oracle performance because that was that was like the most interesting thing. Um, so then I, after that, I actually went to NetApp and I, I started as a consultant. So I thought, you know, I want to, I want to get out of, you know, sitting in an office all day. And I was a horrible consultant. I really wanted to just dig into the weeds the whole time. And that's not really what you're supposed to be doing when you're in a data center, wiring up, you know, disk shelves and so on. So I was a horrible consultant. But thankfully, <laughs> uh, I found somebody who would offer me a job. Um, and I'd, I, this was in the UK and I, I'd always wanted to live in the US too. So. I was offered a job in performance engineering at NetApp, and I moved to North Carolina, which is where I still live, and uh, started, you know, figuring out how storage performance worked. And um, that was a uh, that was very interesting. So at the time, NetApp was kind of going from being a NAS vendor uh, into 
you know, becoming a sand player. So there's lots of performance work to be done there. So I got involved in that. And then as luck would have it, a friend of mine who I used to work with at Sun called me up and said, hey, there's this startup called Nutanix looking for a performance guy. Would you be interested? And uh, that's how we that's how we came to be here. They're looking for a performance guy. And I was was fortunate to be the guy that got the call. And so we started the team. And um, as you say, and then that, happily ever after. ever after. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been a heck of a lot of fun. Would you say all like, you know, on the course of your career doing performance, has a lot of it been preventative medicine or, you know, just kind of like, oh, God, something's not working. I got to roll up the sleeves and figure out what's going on. Yes. Yeah, so it's it. I've always ended up doing both of the uh, the kind of escalation work from the customer side as well as the engineer work. And I think that's that's been one of the things that I've I've enjoyed about my career and it has, has helped me because um, I originally kind of when I was back in Sun I was doing support so I've, I've never been afraid of you know getting involved in the in the messy world of what customers really do with their systems because most performance engineering is done in this we have this pristine lab and everything is set up exactly how we like it but the customer environments are nothing like that they're, they're messy and they have to have all kinds of compromises um, so but what you can do is you when you have a lab, you know exactly how fast this thing or what the performance looks like under ideal conditions. And so when a customer has an escalation, you have a reference point. And if they're only getting one-tenth of what you know is ideal, then you know that the problem is probably in their environment somewhere. But if the performance is you know, 80% of what you get in your ideal lab, then you know that they just they need more capacity. It's not that there's a problem. It's just simply they need more stuff to get it done. So... Um, yeah, so I think being in the middle of those two things helps you. And then, of course, it means that you have a good idea about what customers need in terms of performance. There's no point in making things fast just because you get a better lab number because nobody cares. And so when you talk to customers, you get a much better feel of, you know, what kind of performance do they need? So is it do we need low latency, higher throughput, more consistent throughput? And um, that makes your engineering work a lot more meaningful because you're doing something where you have a pretty good idea that it's going to have a positive effect on the customers. So, yeah, doing both, I think, is, is, is really valuable. It's kind of refreshing. I haven't heard anyone for a while kind of spit out some like crazy number of IOPS from a marketing standpoint, which really I'm sure you can attest to doesn't have a lot of value. And uh, you were bringing up on the customer side that, you know, their their environments are totally different on, you know, onto themselves. So I can only imagine when you get asked how much performance XYZ has, it probably gives you the shakes a little bit <laughs> on, on how to respond or, um, you know, like what, you know, what's your take on when someone asks you to help them set up FIO or Iometer? I, I, you know, I think that I, I understand where they're coming from um, because everybody wants to – these customers and, and prospects who are you – know, people. anyone that's buying infrastructure equipment, they have, a, they have a ton of people knocking at their door telling them that, hey, we have a solution to your problem. Okay, the, From the end user perspective, they, they don't really have a lot of um, levers to move when it comes to figuring out, okay, are these guys for real? Can, can they – 
thing do what they say it does. And so it's very natural that the easiest thing to do is to, to, run, a, to run a benchmark and, and see what is the big number that I can get. So I totally get that. Um, and in fact, it was, you know, what I think I would go as far as to say is once upon a time, probably even as soon as recently as at any time before the SSD era, getting a huge number of IOPS was actually pretty tricky because each each hard drive could, even a 15K fiber channel fancy pants hard drive could really only do about 200 IOPS. So in order to get 100,000 IOPS, you needed like 500 spindles. And so 500 spindles is quite a lot to manage. And so even if you put, say, 100 gig on each spindle, that turns out to be 50 terabytes, which is a lot, right? Even, you know, it was a lot five years ago, that's for sure. And so to actually <laughs> yeah, get a whole bunch a of, yeah, so to get a whole bunch of IOPS out of these kind of spinning disks, that was, that was some heroic engineering. And I kind of want to know, if I'm buying your product, are you guys, are you guys capable of heroic engineering? Because if, if you're not, you're probably not going to be able to fix my bugs either. So in the olden days, I think that made a lot more sense to, 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 to see how big of a number you could get. But then if you kind of fast forward to today, I can get that 100,000 IOPS almost out of a single SSD. So um, it's a lot less meaningful than it, than it once was because it's, it's, it's trivial to get 100,000 IOPS. So when people, are, you know, when people try and use that as their measure of goodness, um, you know, it's less meaningful than it, than it was once upon a time. So what are some things on the performance side that you need to look at beyond the the flashy number? Is it how long you can sustain that number? Or, you know, is it like, I guess what I can kind of foresee is that, you know, you go and do all this testing, perfect, ideal conditions, but the customer side is never like that because there's probably other workloads running beside it. So yeah. how do you actually get a good representation of, of how it's going to react? Yeah, so that's something I've actually spent the last three or four years thinking a lot about, actually. Um, one of the things that once we um, had, so when I first came to Nutanix, we, you know, we had some things we had to make faster, right? So we, we needed to really improve our performance with databases and so on. Um, but once we've kind of got over that and I've been able to build a team to help, you know, keep that thing going, you know, keep that performance, that cadence going, I was able to kind of step back and think a little bit more about, okay, what is, what could we do in benchmarking and measurement to, you know, make, make performance better for the customer without having to continually get involved in doing escalations. And so one of the things that Nutanix is really superb at is, is, is is resilience, um, but we didn't really have a good way of measuring that. And I know that when I speak to customers now in in my role as marketing, and I'm sure it's the same for you, the customers aren't asking me for how many IOPS does this thing do because it's it's kind of a given. What they're really interested in is is as you were saying is what happens when I run a database workload combined with a VDI workload, or whatever happens. What happens if I have two different kinds of database uh, databases running on the same cluster, but with very much different IO characteristics. How do they interfere with each other? So people talk about, you know, the noisy, the idea of a noisy neighbor and what happens, what happens there. And, um, you know, what happens with scaling as I add more nodes, does this thing scale linearly or not? And that's, that's the thing I've kind of really become quite interested in. Um, and so, we ended up building a tool that we that we called X-Ray, 
and it allows you to do all of that kind of modeling. So I can say, okay, deploy an OTP database on this node and a reporting database on some other node and maybe a VDI uh, on some third node. And let's run all those things together. And rather than just going as fast as possible, I'm going to say, okay, I, I want to limit my IOPS because I know that databases you know, don't, they don't always just go as fast as they can. And what I want to measure is how steady is my performance. And so I can do that in an automated fashion now and, and I can actually get those answers. And I think that's we it's interesting for us in engineering to figure out are we doing the right things? And it gives customers a sense of okay, it's brilliant, this thing can do hundred thousand apps, but what happens when I run multiple workloads together and uh, bringing that into a tool so you don't have to be a performance expert, I think is uh, is very useful. And so you, you know there's some tooling around it which would I would assume breed some predictability around results and and running it repeatedly but how about like things for you know if i'm thinking day two operations it's probably you know the performance test that runs five or ten minutes and i get a number it's probably not a real good look at a day in the life of a of a real world yeah yeah i mean you said five or ten minutes you'd be surprised people run these bursty performance tests for, for seconds um again when i when i was working for the um, storage vendor you know we have non-volatile ram so you can write into that ram really really quickly but not for very long so you you'd always see you know tests that were had tiny io for a very short period of time that just gets written into the nv ram and of course the performance looks fantastic because you're essentially writing at ram speed but as soon as you went past that um the performance drops off so that's the other thing we do in X-Ray is that we we run these tests for hours at a time. In fact, I was running one yesterday that took nine hours to run. And the whole point there is you want to start filling up the file system. In this case, um, partway through the workload, we actually just go and kill one of the nodes. So it's walking, you know, it's trying along doing its own thing. X-Ray connects into the IPMI, boom, kills that node. And we say, okay, what happens as that thing, as the, as the cluster starts to recover, what happens to the workloads? And you can't do that in a 30 second test. It just makes no sense. So running these things for many hours is, is great. Tells you a lot more than, it, than a short test would do. And as long as you have, can have trust in your tool, you can just queue these things up and let them run over the weekend and come back and, and take a look at them. But you're right. I mean, running something for 60 seconds doesn't tell you anything. So you can have mixed workloads and, and run it for a long time if you want. Can you add in other factors? Like if I wanted to do, if I snapshot my workloads for, I don't know, four hours, every, you know, every four hours I'm taking a snap and what, you know, if I end up with like 20 of these things, what's going to happen to my workload? Yeah. In fact, you'd be surprised what happens when you run things for a very long time. Um, you know, we, we've, we've done tests where you run snapshots in the first five hours look great and then all of a sudden you'll hit some threshold and then the performance really starts tanking so yeah we can do uh x-ray we can log in and take snapshots uh, as i say it can turn uh power off the nodes which is uh which is pretty disruptive uh we can do a rolling reboot all kinds of different things like that um but yeah How- the whole point is to just try and make it as, as real world as possible how is it turning off the nodes? There's some like power kind of it's tied into the remote management. 
Yeah, so uh, when we first looked at this, we really wanted to start by doing uh, powering off disks. But it turns out that to do that, you have to kind of reach underneath whatever system you're testing. The beauty of IPMI is that it's a public interface. So, and almost all systems these days, particularly the hybrid converged, they come with some sort of IPMI type interface. So we tell X-Ray, okay, for this node, this is its IPMI address. Here's, here's how to log in. And then X-Ray just goes in and issues the power off. So it's not even a shutdown. It just says, okay, boom, power off now. And the, and the node just goes completely, it, it just turns off immediately. So it's pretty, it's pretty disruptive, and it's very interesting to see what happens uh, <laughs> to your workload when you do that. Come, come back after lunch and say la vie. Yeah, yeah. We've found some interesting bugs that way. Yeah, it's like there's just so many different, you know, ways that things can occur. I'm sure it's hard to account for them all. So we can we can do all these great things on Nutanix, but how about other work like other? You know, how how do you compare it? Is it just a Nutanix tool? No. So again, one of the the, the great things about hyperconverged is that there are two, you know, there are a couple of dominant uh, ecosystems, for want of a better word. So Nutanix obviously has its own ecosystem with HV and, and Prism. Um, there's uh, Hyper-V and uh, ESX. <clears throat> so a lot of hyperconverged equipment runs uh, under ESX, and as long as as long as that will, as long as that connects to the vCenter, so X-Ray knows how to talk to Prism, it knows how to talk to vCenter, and it knows how to talk to uh, SCVMM on the Hyper-V, we can talk to any of those kind of management planes and create VMs. And as soon as we can create VMs, then X-Ray talks directly to the VMs which it creates, and it, and it knows how to uh, generate the workloads. And then we, we talk to the IPMY, so that's, that's, uh, that's um, uniform across everything. So all, all we need to be able to do is, if you have another system, maybe you're maybe you're developing your own kind of homegrown hyper-converged system or whatever. As long as that talks to a vCenter, Prism, or SCVMM, you can use X-Ray on that. So that gives us the ability to talk to to pretty much all of the hyper-converged um, uh, products today. And in fact, it's open source. So for for example, you know, if you you meet a few friends of ours wanted to start a garage startup we could we could create a little hyperconverged system and we could get the open source uh, version of x-ray we could we could start running our own benchmarks you know right there in our garage so it's um yeah it's pretty cool it's, it's very open it kind of makes me think that while we're talking about performance have have you seen customers just use it to pick their hypervisor of choice I mean, I think it's one of, it's one of the things that you can that you can use to uh, measure your because you know, like I'm saying because you're running these things over many 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 hours it gives you a much better idea of what your experience might be like you know versus just running a straight out benchmark to see how many IOP you get so I think yeah we've seen customers use use this to to make an assessment of what, which way they want to go um, another thing that customers are using it for is as part of their burning test. So if they if they buy you know a 24 node cluster or whatever node cluster, before they put it into production, they're running. They decide which extra tests they want to run, and they're using that as their kind of their soak test, which again is great because the the, the workloads run for a long time, and we do all kind of crazy stuff that no, no other benchmarking tool does, like 
you know, powering off the nodes, making sure that it comes back, making sure. We even have one where you power off all of the nodes, so clearly the, the work stops. And then we power them all back on and we measure how long does it take for the cluster to come back up, reform, and be in a position to restart workload. So these are all kinds of different things you can use. So yes, the customers use it for, for stress testing. They use it to, to help make their buying decisions. Uh, we use it in engineering um, to, to, to test new software version, versions. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of use cases, actually. And if I could just uh, put in a small plug, it is available on the Nutanix community. Uh, we also have a forum on there where uh, folks can have discussions around um, X-Ray. Um, so check that out at uh, next.nutanix.com, and that's my small plug. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. Yeah, I didn't really want this to turn into an X-Ray advert, but uh, yeah. just to finish up, it ships as either an OVA or a QCAL. You import that into your into your uh, virtualization environment, and, and off you go. So it's very straightforward. Are are there any plans to support Nutanix files or Nutanix buckets when that becomes out later this year? Yeah, we did. Um, we had a hackathon uh, six weeks or so ago, and we did spin up some work, <laughs> um, some tests that we ran against Amazon S3. That 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 ran just fine, and since buckets is going to be S3 compatible, we'll be able to run it against buckets. So um, I I don't think we'll necessarily have a workload available when buckets ships, but yeah, there's no reason we couldn't do that. Um, and same for files too. All we have to do is mount the file system into the work of VMs, and it should it should work. So it may may or may not happen, but at least it's being thought about. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, to to be honest, though, Dwayne, um, you can you can run any Ansible commands you want. So X-Ray will will log in and say, "Hey, you can define what Ansible commands you want to run." So there's nothing from stopping you or me or anybody from downloading X-Ray, um, understanding how to specify a test and, and creating a test that that mounts your your AFS file system or your your Nutanix files, files, file server, whatever your mount point is, you could lo you could mount that onto your worker VMs and um, have it do some work. So so you can create your own workloads very easily, I'd say very easily, somewhat easily. You know, it's a little bit of a learning curve, but it's, there's nothing. Yeah, for sure. It's not, you know, it's going to, it's just going to pop out at you. But yeah, that's awesome though. I think yeah. if, if you can write a, a JSON or a YAML file and upload it somewhere and get going, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so I, I, I did a little blog series on my own personal blog about, uh, you know, how to write your own uh, X-ray tests. And, yeah, it, it's you have to write like a little FIO configuration file, which is bog standard FIO, and a little bit of YAML that describes how you want X-ray to set up the cluster and how you want it to set up the VMs. And um, off you go. Yeah, even I can do it, Dwayne. Even I can do it. <laughs> That's how I feel if I do some coding. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I touch a couple of Python lines, I... I start looking for developer jobs the next yeah, day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back you know, back on the performance side, you know, what are there like? Is there a top five or a top ten things that you should look out for? Because I think performance is not just a storage stack. Right? There's more. You know, I got the network involved. You got the hypervisor. Like, there's just mm. so many things. Is there is a such a list even? real <laughs> like i don't 
you know, every, everybody wants a checklist, you know, those, those three yeah. things that I should look for, but I don't even know if that's true in this case. It's, it's, it's tricky, particularly with uh, any kind of cloud, whether it's a, you know, your private cloud or an enterprise cloud, a hybrid cloud, public cloud. Um, I think that what you really, and this is the way most people do it, is they do figure out, okay, what's my intensive work? What's my most intensive workload? And can this infrastructure run it? And so you, you know, if you can distill your most intensive workload, um, you can either simulate that or, or even just bring it into a POC and run it. And if you do that, then you'll, you'll know that everything else is, is going to work just fine. And it's just a question of you know, how much capacity do I need to run all of these other things? Um, but yeah, it's, every application is different. It's very hard to give a, um, to give a blanket answer there. Yeah, I guess so that kind of comes with it. If, you know, if I needed that extra mile of performance, what do you have you been working on anything on the NVMe side or maybe some more in memory kind of technologies? Is there something to I guess is the price point do you think it's that where I should be looking at it or maybe wait a while? What are some things that I should look in in that area because it 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 sounds sexy, but I don't know if I need it, but Sounds cool. I think it's one of those things you know if you need it. Um, where where NVMe really shines is um, is when you need low latency, and particularly if you couple that with RDMA, uh, you can get pretty low latency writes even on a even on a, a cluster with uh, just commodity hardware. So if you remember back, I was talking about in the storage days, we would have an NVRAM. So you have battery back RAM, you're doing these writes, they're going in at RAM speed, so everything's lightning fast. With RDMA and NVMe, you're getting pretty close to the kind of speeds that we were seeing uh, using NVRAM, but without having to have any any special hardware. So the problem with, with storage controllers was that these NVRAMs, even when they were mirrored, they were only mirrored between two hosts. So... As soon as one of these hosts went down, the other, the other, sorry, one of these storage, when one of the storage controller heads went down, the other storage controller had had to pick up all of the work. And so what you would have is people would be afraid of filling, you know, using one of these storage controller heads more than 50% because they knew that in the event of a failure, they'd have to do all of the work on one head. Now, in a clustered environment like Nutanix, if I have I have 24 nodes and one of those nodes goes down well i still have 23 nodes to do all of the work so i don't have to worry i don't have to worry about just filling up you know up to 50 percent for this thing but the problem was that you know you took a you took a performance hit because now we didn't have these kind of magical interconnects with rdma and nvme as i say we're getting pretty close to uh to the same source of speed we were seeing on custom hardware so yeah if you if you have a very low latency workload uh nvme can help you but beyond that SSDs are so fast that, for the most part, I, I I don't recommend them unless you really have a workload that you that you know you need it for. Yeah, they just <laughs> yeah. I, I can remember one Nutanix customer that placed their gear close to network exchanges. So like, I'm sure they would be kind of like looking at it or at least thinking about it. But uh, yeah, probably for the vast majority, yeah, SSDs are probably fine. Just like. It's not too long ago where we made do with hard drives. You know, it's not like they're suddenly bad. Yeah, 
I wouldn't want to go back to having a hard drive in my laptop though. That was, that was <laughs> no, a game changer, man. I don't think anybody, you know, that's probably the the issue with VDI early on too, is that you're exchanging something that had full access to a shared environment. I, my first VDI deployment was with a, a grouping of like 30 hard drives, and I remember thinking that I, that was like I would be set for life. Oh uh, man, was I disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> we have dot next london rolling around the corner at oh, the end of november yes. have you been selected for a session i've been touched i've been touched by the hand of, of my <laughs> to uh to to give a session i'll be giving i can't remember the exact name of my session i think it's something like um it's to do with performance, but it doesn't actually have the word performance in it. I think it's something like scaling and sizing Nutanix or something like that. Um, so I'll be speaking there. I'll, I'll be kind of talking about storage since that's my background. And I'll be working with uh, David Kinnearum, who's um, a performance guy for HV Hypervisor. So he'll be talking about um, you know, VNUMA and some of the uh, AHV uh, improvements we've made in the last year or so so that will be pretty interesting yeah i've uh, picked his brain a couple of times that should be an interesting session so search for gary and david on the on the catalog and get signed up right away i guess is the uh, the yeah, mantra of the story yeah we had a good turnout in um in new orleans actually i, I was surprised that we there were so many performance nodes at .next, but um yeah we, we had a good good couple hundred people there so yeah, normally we normally get a good crowd. Yeah, that session, anything with performance tends to do well. I don't remember if they had it last year at .next or in New Orleans. There, we have ran like a failure session, which is like fairly, you would never think a vendor like telling on how we failed, but that's been pretty popular too. And it just, it shows the realities of, of anything really, which I thought was pretty interesting too. Yeah. What, what, what sessions are you doing, Dwayne? Uh, I think I just have one and maybe helping out with the hands-on labs. We have a big data session with Ray Hassan and cool, cool. Uh, just signing up a, a customer from Italy that's going to help out. And uh, Zai Leap service should have a hands-on lab as well. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being in London. It's, uh, it's probably my favorite place in the world. <laughs> well, it, I hope it is. Yeah, I think I think that's where you originally hail from. So, the with with that, I want to turn it back over to Angelo before we part ways to let him interject his three questions for our guests. Thanks, Dwayne. Yeah, Gary, we have three rapid fire questions for you, just so folks can get a little more uh, familiar with you on on a personal side. So, um, and you, you should depending. Look twice. Depending on your answers, we'll determine if you get to come back or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. iOS or Android? Oh, iOS all day. Okay. Yeah, I did try Android. I did, try, and I really tried. Fail. But everyone, Fail. Else in my, everyone else in my family has Apple, so it was a complete disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite app? App. This is really boring. You know what I love, though? Evernote. Oh. I just put everything in there, and it's always there. As long as you just, as long as you just use one thing, then uh, yeah, I've been very happy with that. And I even pay for it. That's how much I like it. Oh wow! Yeah, there, it's actually it's pretty close to an answer we just did not on a on a last podcast. So 
Text yeah. is the way to go. Text editor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and finally, audio books or physical books? Oh, I'm a physical books person. I tried audio books. And um, it's just not as easy to fall asleep to. <laughs> my favorite thing is on an airplane to read a book and just fall asleep. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Good stuff. Dwayne? All right. Well, thanks, Gary, for that. I will maybe take your advice and stop rolling over on my headphones in bed. So thanks for all the great information, and we will see you in London. All right. Look forward to it. See you guys. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community at next.nutanix.com for resources, blogs, and continuing the conversation in our forums. If you're interested in trying X-Ray, you can also find that on the Nutanix community. Gary, Duane, and I will be at .next London. I hope to connect with many of you in the community lounge. So with that, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week.